Once again, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us uh, for the first time joining our Bible studies. We, we have been doing this Bible study for almost two years now, and if you want to listen to our previous audios, go to drmanasseh.com, drmanasseh.com, then you will be able to access all our audios and all our previous Bible studies, because we record them and we keep them there. And I believe God is going to bless you as you do that. If you want to connect with us, you can still go to drmanasseh.com and connect with us, or you can just send us an email, info at drmanasseh.com, info at drmanasseh.com. We should be able to receive your email, or if you want to connect with us via WhatsApp, it's plus one, Seven one four six one two three one zero two plus one seven one four six one two three one zero two and I believe God is going to bless us together. Today we're going to talk about how to develop a resilient faith. How to develop a resilient faith. I want us to look at these two words resilient and faith. Resilient and faith. When you speak of resilience, resilience simply means a process. It's a process of adapting well in the presence of adversity, in the presence of trauma, in the presence of tragedy, in the presence of threats, you know, or anything that may cause fear or any source of fear. How do you adapt? How do you navigate through tragedy, adversity, trauma, challenges? So, when you talk of resilience, this is the ability to bounce back. Are you able to bounce back when you are knocked down? When you go through challenging situations, are you able to come back? You know, people who make it in life, People who are successful in life, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in business, whether it's in relationships, it does not mean that everything just goes smooth with them. They do go through difficult and challenging situations. But they make it because they have what you call resilience, a bouncing back spirit. We need resilience in all areas of our lives, whether it's in your studies, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your ministry, you need that resilience. And that is what will take you through. So faith is very important in our, I mean, in our salvation. And the Bible says, for walk by faith, not by sight. Timothy, I mean, Paul said to Timothy, in, in Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. But the most important thing, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. It's very interesting that some people, they go, th- go through all these fights of life, difficulties and challenges of life, and they still maintain their faith. But unfortunately, there are some who fail to maintain their faith. There are some who fail to maintain this faith, I mean their faith. And the question is, why do you seem to fail under pressure. Why, why don't you make it through? Why, why are you not resilient enough? But you are a Christian. And sometimes I ask myself, do we really believe in these things called faith? 
or this faith stuff? Do we really believe in these things? Is our faith genuine? Is our faith real? When things go wrong, do we still maintain our faith? Or we just give up? We just collapse? When our prayers are not answered, do we still maintain our faith? You know, faith is important, believing is important, but there is something more than that. There is something more than just believing. There is something more than just faith. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. In other words, Jesus wants us to follow him. There is a difference between believing and following. Believing, it means you have faith, you believe. Yes, you believe. But beyond that, there is no action that is needed. Jesus says, follow me. In other words, you have to take an action and start to put one foot in front of the next, of one of another. And you start to walk after Jesus. You do something. There is an action involved. Most of us, we are told to believe in Jesus, but not to follow Jesus. You believe in Jesus, but you do not do what Jesus wants you to do. And that will cause our faith to fail. We do not fail for lack of faith. We do not fail for lack of belief. We believe the right things, but we fail for lack of following. For lack of doing. If we believe. But we do not do anything. Our faith becomes. Frail. Our faith becomes. Feeble. Our faith becomes. Fragile. And our faith cannot hold on. I've observed a lot of Christians, you know, people who go through difficult times and difficult situations and they pull through. But I've observed also other Christians who believe in Christ. They go through the same challenges or even less, but they don't make it through. The other time I was talking to some pastors and I said to them, we have to be realistic, we have to be honest. Not all of your members will come back to church after COVID. And that's the reality. Maybe it's time we start to think differently. We start to do ministry differently. Maybe it's time we start to, to teach people the real foundation of our faith. So people can go through challenging times and still make it through. They go through the tunnels of life and still make it to the other side. That is very, very important to us as Christians. We'll go through challenging periods and that's the nature of life. Life has ups and downs. Life has mountains and valleys. Life is not flat. Life has challenges. All of us will go through some challenges in life. But how do we navigate through that? Are you able to stay strong? Through those challenges of life. What do you do. When things. Go wrong. When things do not go. The way you thought they will go. 
And today what I'm going to do is, I'm going to talk about five things. Actually, we may not even finish them today. But I'll talk about five things that can help us, you know, in our faith. Five things that can help us grow in our faith. Five things that can help us, you know, uh, be strong. Even when you go through challenging situations. Five things that can help us to become who God wants us to be. And that's what we will focus on today. Five things that can help us become stronger Christians, resilient Christians. You know, faith is like a muscle. We have to exercise it if we want to make our faith strong. And that is very important. The key word is exercise your faith. Make it practical. When you exercise it, you become more and more stronger by day. Become more stronger and stronger. Because faith should not be theoretical. Faith should be something practical. As much as Jesus said we believe in Him, it is not enough. We have to do more than just believing. We have to do more than just believing. You know, when Jesus came here on earth, He also had the same challenge. And you'll see that in the next few minutes. He had the same challenge. That there are people who believed in God, especially the Jews. They believed in God. They had faith in God. But their faith was not practical. Their faith did not demand anything extra from them. They did not have to change. So, in the book of Matthew chapter 7, I mean from, from chapter 5 actually, but today we'll focus on chapter 7. From chapter 5, Jesus came and he started to speak about real faith. He started to speak about real faith. He talked about, you know, a lesson on real change. And that was contrary to what the religious leaders of their time taught them. When Jesus showed up in the picture, he knew about the beliefs and the traditions of the Jews. Their relationship with God was abstract. Their relationship with God was more ceremonial and religious. Their relationship with God was not personal. Their relationship with God was just traditional. When you were born a Jew, you did not even have to make a choice. You did not even have to convert or change. They would just grow you know, in that religious environment. And they would grow believing in God who is in heaven. Believing in Yahweh. They knew him as the God of the Jews. His name was Yahweh. Their relationship with God was not personal. But they believed in a God who has a relationship with a nation. Their responsibility was to please him by following the laws as outlined in what you call the Torah, the Pentateuch. The Torah or the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Their responsibility was just to follow those laws and rules. Jesus did not have a problem with non-believers when he came or with the sinners. He had a problem with the priests. 
He had a problem with the rabbis. He had a problem with the Pharisees. He had a problem with the Jews. Because they claimed that they knew God. Of Abraham. Isaac. And Jacob. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the Torah. They knew the Tanakh. The Tanakh is a collection of the Hebrew scripture or the, the Hebrew Bible. That's the Old Testament. That included the, the Torah, the law and the prophets. And they made sure that their children memorized these books. You know, they will have their child memorize the whole book of Proverbs. And they will sing the Psalms because the Psalms were meant to be sung and recited. When Joshua, in, in, in Joshua chapter 1.8, when he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He was not referring to the New Testament. In actual fact, there was no New Testament at that point. There was no Bible at that point. You know, in the Bible, anytime you see the word scripture, it is not referring to the New Testament, but it's referring to the Tanakh, to the Hebrew Bible, to the Old Testament. So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 18, it's the Bible says, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, these this Jews, they claim that they knew and they understood God. They will meet every Sabbath in the synagogue. Oh, what is the synagogue? Somebody asked. Let me quickly give you just a short background of our understanding of the synagogue. You know, a synagogue is a Jewish religion or, or religious institution. That's where they, they used to meet. Instead of meeting at the temple. Because you remember after, after the Hebrews were set free from Egypt. And they arrived in the promised land. They did not have a king. But they, they were governed by the judges. And later they cried and said, we also want to have a king like other nations. And God gave them King Saul. King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. Then after King Saul we see, we see David. And after David, his son Solomon came into the picture. Solomon asked, you know, one of the friends of, of his father David. The name of the friend was Hiram. Hiram was the king of Tyra. He asked him to, if he can send him some, uh, you know, some wood. Because he wanted to build the temple of the Lord. And Solomon built the temple of the Lord. And the temple was built a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So the temple was there in Jerusalem. It took Solomon about eight years to build that temple. That temple was a big, big structure. I mean, it was about 460 meters long, you know, to the east. About 315 meters to the north, you know. 100 meters, it's almost like the size of the football field, you know. That, that's how big it was. So just imagine the four of those football fields. That's how long it was. Almost the whole block in your city or in your town. It was a big, big structure. A massive structure. 
It was a massive structure. And then the walls above the, above the ground, the walls only, it was about 30 meters, almost 10 stories high. That was how tall this structure was. And the foundation itself, the foundation only, it was about 20 meters deep. It was a very, very big, very big structure. It was a very, very big structure. Now, this structure, that's where they used to meet. And that's where they used to meet and worship God. So the Israelites will meet and worship God in this structure. And it was a massive structure. You know, it had uh, all these different areas. This, this open area here on top, the open area here on top, that's what you call uh, the outer courts. The outer courts. So the outer court, it was open. In other words, the, the Gentiles were allowed to get in the outer courts. But the inner courts, only the Jews were allowed into it. And the reason why I'm mentioning this, I know I'll get a time sometimes we'll talk about the temple only. It will need the whole session to talk about the temple. But in the inner courts, what used to happen is, that's where the Jews only were allowed. So one day Jesus came and he found most of these Jews that were in the outer courts. And everybody set up a table and they were selling stuff. Some were selling doves, some were selling animals, they were selling goats, they were selling sheep. And Jesus came and he says, oh oh, now there is no space for the Gentiles. Because they are not, they're not allowed inside. Now this space is filled up with people who are selling stuff. And Jesus, he came and he turned all their tables upside down. And he said, this house shall be called the house of prayer. The house of prayer. So, this area, that's where the, the Gentiles were, out, they were allowed, the outside, the outer courts. But they were not allowed in the, in the inner courts. And we'll get, like I said, we'll get sometimes and we'll talk more about, uh, about it later or so. So, when Jesus Christ came at that time, there was a temple. But besides the temple, what they also had, you know, because during that time, all the Jews, they will meet in the temple for worship. And they will meet at least three times a day. But then at some point, after Solomon's rule, the nation of Israel was divided into two. We had the northern part and the southern part. The northern part, that's why we have the Sea of Galilee area. Sort of a region, if you, if you will. And the southern part, that's where the, uh, the temple was in Jerusalem. That's the area called the Judea area. Now because of the distance, you know, some of them they could no longer walk down south to, to the temple to worship. So what they did, they created what you call a mini temple, if you would. So they would create what you call synagogues. That's where they would meet every now and then. And they would go to the temple at least once or twice, maybe three times a year. If you will like it. They will only go there during special occasions. Or special holidays. So because of the distance. People who are living in the northern part of, the, uh, of Israel. They will not go there. So they will, they will have what you call the synagogues. So they will identify specific holidays. That they will go down there uh, to worship. Now another thing is. Like I said, about the synagogue, it was a small replica of the temple. And throughout the year, they will meet in those synagogues. So synagogues 
were not centrally uh, regulated or controlled. You know, everyone would have their own synagogue. All, actually, all you need to establish a synagogue, you need at least three, I mean, ten, ten men who were about 13 years uh, older, you know, 13 years and, old and above, then you will just establish your own synagogue. And those 13 men, they will form what you call the, a minion, or what you call a quorum of worshippers. Quorum of worshippers. So they will meet at least three times a day, and they will run those services there, and they will read the Torah, they will read the, the Pentateuch, they will read the Scriptures. And, you know, they also had, had what you call the Holy Ark, a replica of the Ark. And inside there, there was a Torah and the Scriptures. So, what I'm trying to say is here, you know, they will have that kind of religious stuff going on. You know, they will have a lot of synagogues all over, by the way. Those Jews, they will establish their own synagogues everywhere. Even after, you know, because of the wars and other stuff, some of the Jews, they were sent, you know, they were captured and sent out to other places like Rome, you know, Antioch, Asia Minor or Turkey, Syria, Cyprus, you know, all the Cyprus Islands and other places, Lebanon. So what will happen is they will establish small synagogues in all those places. So that's where they will, they will use to, to meet. You know, so the Jews, they will be scattered all over the shores of the Mediterranean Sea uh, countries, but they will have those synagogues there. In actual fact, there were so many that in Jerusalem only, Jerusalem you know, area, area only, they had more than 394 synagogues. So there were small places of, of worship. But then one other thing about the synagogues is every time they meet, in those synagogues they will just read this, uh, the scriptures, they will just memorize those scriptures. You do not have to do anything. And as long as you have fulfilled you know, your attendance to the synagogue, you are good to go. You are good to go. And those synagogues, they serve the purpose, you know, after the New Testament, because Paul and other, uh, other disciples, you know, when they started to, uh, other apostles, when they started to spread the gospel, the first place that they will go, they will go to their fellow Jews, and they will meet them where? In the synagogues. That's why everywhere they went, they will find synagogues in the villages, in the cities, and in the towns. And they will preach. And some Jews they will repent. And then they will establish a church in that area. And sometimes a lot of Jews, they will repent and join the church until the synagogue in that particular area remained empty. So the, the disciples found the audience ready in the synagogue. They will start to teach the teachings of Jesus. They will speak of repentance. It was a new teaching altogether. These teachings were different from the synagogue teachings. And the Jews would only emphasize the teaching of the law. But Paul and the apostles, they would emphasize salvation. So, the Jews were expecting the Messiah at that point. They were expecting that the Messiah will come. And the disciples will come and say, Oh, by the way, Jesus, that you rejected and crucified was the Messiah. And in most cases, they will even kick them out of the synagogue. Because they believe that the Messiah is still coming. So when Jesus Christ came, it was during that period, when, when everywhere there were synagogues 
all over the place. And the Jews, they would only learn about the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, learn about the history of the, of the, of the Jewish nations and all this kind. That's all that, that was required of them. There was no repentance. And when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he started to say, oh, there is something more than just believing in God. He told them, you knew about God, but there is something more than just knowing about God. There is a personal relationship that you can establish with this God. And also, God expects you to make some changes in your life. And in the next few minutes, I want to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. That's when Jesus came. And one day, He decided to spend the whole day teaching them about God. Teaching them about repentance. Teaching them about true faith. True faith. And that sermon is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It starts from Matthew chapter 5 through uh, chapter 7. Jesus talked about the Beatitudes. He explained to them who is blessed. He talked about believers being souls and light of the world. He talked about him coming to fulfill the law. He talked about going an extra mile. When you are asked to do something, do extra. If you are asked to walk one mile, walk two miles. With who? With the soldiers, with the Roman soldiers who used to punish them, who used to, uh, to abuse them. The very same Roman soldiers who are there to oppress them. And he says, if they wanted to do something good for them, do twice as much as they expect you to do. And everyone was, everybody was surprised and shocked. This guy is coming with a different teaching altogether. This is different from what you have learned from the synagogue. This is different from what you have learned from the, uh, from the temple. And Jesus, he continued to surprise them. And he says, when you have an enemy, love your neighbor. Love your enemy also. Don't only love your enemy. He says, continue to pray for them. I mean, you can't even pray for your brother. You can't even pray for your uncle. You can't even pray for your sister. You can't even pray for your mom. And yes, Jesus says, he comes and he says, start to pray for your enemies. He turned everything upside down. All that they knew. He changed it. He says, do good to please God. When you give, when your right hand is given, let your left hand not know what the right hand is doing. Don't do things to please people. When you give, you don't have to broadcast it on Facebook. You don't have to broadcast it on Instagram. You don't have to broadcast it on Twitter. The whole nation, the whole world will have to know that you gave me some transportation money. You gave me some food. He says, no, you don't have to do that. If you do that, if you do that, you'll get a reward from the people. Everybody will applaud you. Everybody will clap hands for you. By the way, it ends up there. You won't get a reward from God. Everything looks so different from what they knew. And Jesus also he talked about prayer. And he showed them how to pray. He talked about fasting. He said, when you fast, let it be between you and God. Get into your room. Let it be a relationship, a personal relationship between you and God. He's no longer that Yahweh. He's no longer that God, the abstract God that you thought of. Now this is a personal relationship with God. A God who wants to know you and who wants you to know Him. When you fast, it should be between you and Him. He continued to talk about laying up your treasures in heaven. 
He continued to say, oh, you cannot serve God and the riches. In the midst of their worries about the Roman Empire, in the midst of their worries about their oppression, in the midst of, and Jesus comes and says, do not worry about anything. Do not worry. For your heavenly Father, He knows what you need, even before He starts praying. They say, what? This guy is so different. And then it was almost like a conference. Almost like a conference. If it was today, we'll need the whole month series to teach about the things that he taught in one day. His teachings were so different from the traditional teachings. Everything was counterculture, was upside down, and very, very practical. He said your faith must be practical. It must be something that you do, not what you just believe. He invited them to do life differently. If you want to have a resilient faith, you must have a faith that practices what you believe. Do not only believe in Yahweh. You have to display your faith by the way you live. In chapter 7, he continues to say, I mean, he talked about the, do not judge other people. In verse 3, he says, and why do you look at the, at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. He said, even before you start correcting other people, can you look at yourself? Can you clean up your mess first? Then when you look at other people and start to blame other people, judge other people, whereas you know your stuff is right. This is a very practical gospel. And he continues to say, you know, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on praying. Keep on knocking. In verse 7, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So he continued to encourage them to pray. And the one that touched me the most is in verse 13. When he talked about the narrow gate or the narrow way. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. What? Yes. Choose the narrow gate. Don't choose the popular one. Don't go by what is popular or that sounds fashionable. Choose the narrow gate. And he continues to say in verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. That did not bother me much. But what bothered me much is the final part of the sentence when he says, and there are few who find it. Very few who find it. Few who find it. That touched me. So it's not everybody who finds this right way. He says there are very, very few. May God help us that we fall under those few. Not everybody who claims, who says, Lord, Lord, shall see the kingdom of God. Sometimes I have an impression in me that people who will go to heaven, they are not as many as we think. I know, I know. They are not as many as we think. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. You know, Jesus continues also with the same thought of very few 
who will find the way. Now in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 the Bible says Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous for wolves. Verse 16 You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Let's go down to verse 20. It says, Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone, this one touched me a lot. Always when I read this verse, I get emotional. Not everyone who sings in church, not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who prays, it is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does, underline the word does, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He says, your faith is not enough. You have to do something. Your faith has to be practical. It is not enough just to say, Lord, Lord, but you do not behave, you do not live like your, your faith confesses. And verse 22, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied in your name? Or have you not prophesied in your name? Have you not cast out demons in your name? So it's possible that somebody can prophesy and still go to hell. It's possible that somebody can cast out demons and still go to hell. He says, and done many wonders in your name. It's possible that some people can do miracles. They can perform real miracles and still go to hell. And he says in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity or lawlessness. It's possible. You can go to church and still go to hell. It's possible. You can believe the right things and still go to hell. Why? Because you are not doing what he wants you to do. He says, blessed are those who do. Not those who only listen. This was a tough sermon for them. And he taught them that they have to practice what they believe. Unlike in the synagogue, where you were expected just to show up Memorize some scripture, then you are done. They were taught the history of the Jewish nation. There was no need to convert. There was no need to change. But Jesus comes with a different system. He says, now you have to change. Now you have to convert. Jesus came and he challenged them to make some changes in their lives. His teachings were very practical. Very, very practical. And they never heard of this kind of teachings before. And finally, you know, as they were listening, he said in conclusion, <laughs> these are the words that every you know, congregant wants to, to listen to or to hear when the preacher speaks. And Jesus says in conclusion, finally, and he talked about building your house on the rock. So in, in verse in chapter twenty seven in chapter seven verse twenty four, that's when Jesus concluded his lesson. When he concluded his lesson, let's see how he concluded it. And that's how we're going to conclude our lesson also tonight. Matthew chapter seven verse twenty four. He says, therefore, or finally, whoever hears these things, all that I've been talking about, 
Whoever hears everything that I've been talking about, all my words, and believes them, is that what he said? No. Whoever hears this word and write them down, no. Whoever hears this word and get convicted and say, oh, today someone was so powerful. It was so powerful. What a blessing. It was a great someone. No. Whoever hears my word and they cry after it was preached, they get emotional about it. No. He said, whoever hears this word and take a lot of notes, no. What did he say? He said, whoever hears this word and does them. That's the key. Does them. Doing is the key. And he says, I will make him like a wise man. Who will be like a wise man? In other words, if you listen to the word of God and you practice, you put it into practice, you do it, Jesus says, you are wise. You are wise. What is a wise person? A wise person is a person who is able to connect the dots. Who says, what I do today, it has a repercussion. What I do today, its results will be shown in my tomorrow. My tomorrow is as a result of what I do today. And you start to behave in a responsible way. Because you know, you know, that whatever you are doing today, all the actions, everything that you do, it has an outcome. It has an outcome. And the Bible says, if you listen to the word of God and you practice, you do what the word of God says, the Bible says, you are like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Build this house on the rock. You have to build your house on the rock, my brother. You have to build your house on the rock, my sister. If you want to have resilient faith, you have to build your house on the rock. You have to make your life, you have to make your faith practical. Why? In verse 25, why do you have to practice the word of God? Why do you have to practice the word of God? In verse 25, the Bible says, and the rain descended. Oh my goodness. The rain descended. That's the nature of life. Rain will descend, will, will descend in your life at some point. It will rain. The floods will come. The winds will blow. And they will beat your house. They will test your house. Your faith will be tested. Sickness will come. COVID will come. All this kind of stuff will come. You will lose your job at some point. Maybe you even get divorced at some point. All this stuff will come. But what do you do? Jesus says at some point those things will come. But you must make sure that your house is built on the rock. Your house is built on the rock. Your faith is genuine. And he continues to say, but everyone, but everyone who hears the sayings, of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. On the sand. It's easy to build on the sand. You don't have to do anything. It's like meeting in the synagogue. You just go there and you know attend church and, and you take notes as the, as the preacher speaks. Then you are done. You'll see them again next week Sunday. You don't have to do anything difficult. But if you want to build on the rock, you have to dig. 
on the rock. It's not easy to dig on the rock. And he continued to say, and the rain descended. The floods came. And the winds blew. And beat on that house. Sickness came. Covid came. They lose their house. They lose their job. They lose their marriage. Divorce came. You got rejected. And what happens? The Bible says that house, it fell. And great was its fall. Brothers and sisters, if you want to build resilient faith, you have to start acting on what you know. You have to start acting on your faith. Your faith should become practical. Your faith should not just be theory. It must be real. What Jesus was saying is, it is possible to hear and believe the word of God, but you live your life contrary to what you have heard and what you believe in. And if you do not do what you have learned, if you do not do what the word of God says, you are setting up your faith for failure. When difficult situations come, then your faith will fail you. And most people, when difficult and challenging times come, what do they do? They walk away from the faith. They walk away from Jesus. And why? Jesus says it's because your faith was not built on the rock. How do you build your faith on the rock? You do what Jesus says. Faith is like riding on a bicycle. As long as you keep pedaling, you will move forward. No matter what comes your way, as long as you keep pedaling, you will move forward. But the moment you stop pedaling, then you fall. My brother, my sister, keep on living your faith. Challenging and difficult situations will come. But those challenging situations, they do not change you. They reveal who you really are. Jesus said, it is a waste of time. And it is useless for you to spend the whole day with me here. As I'm teaching all these things. But at the end, you do not do them. He says, finally, you'll be like a man who built his house on sand. It will not stand the storms of life. It will not stand the challenges of life. Those who do not practice the word of God, they will fail. They will fall. Their faith will not go anywhere. In actual fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he also emphasizes and he put it very, very clear. James says in James chapter 1 verse 22, Be doers of, your, of the word and not just hearers of the word. Because if you just hear the word of God and you do not do it, the Bible says you are deceiving yourself. You are just wasting your time. Be a doer of the word of God. God wants us to practice His word. Faith is like a muscle, like I have said. We have to exercise it. How do you exercise it? By doing what the word of God says. By practicing what the word of God says. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who hears the word of God. And make the corrections when necessary. The blessing is not in the collection of the notes. The blessing is not in the listening of all these popular speakers. The blessing is not in the listening of many sermons. The blessing is in the doing. When you do what you learn, you are practicing your faith. And that's how your faith will be strengthened. Every time you read the word of God, 
Every time you hear the word of God, you have to do something about it. Do not just brush it off. Don't just ignore it. When the word of God speaks into your life, you have to practice it. You know, sometimes people have a tendency. When they listen to something, you know, or, or the word of God that is powerful, or they feel like you know, it's touching them, they say, I wish brother so-and-so was here. I wish sister so-and-so was here. I wish my neighbor was here. I wish my colleague was here to listen to this. No! Do not say you wish so-and-so was here. This word is for you. That is why God made it a point that tonight you are here. It's because this word is for you. If it was for so-and-so, if it was for brother Jack or brother Jim or brother John or sister so-and-so or sister Gabbard, they would be here. The fact that they are not here, God knows how to reach them. God knows how to touch them. It's for you. Don't shovel it over to other people's lives. That's the word of God. It should be for you. And you should start practicing what you have learned here. Most Christians, they have, they have replaced doing by faith, by believing. You know, oh, I believe, I be Okay, you believe, but it's more than just believing. For your marriage to work out, it's more than just, it's more than just believing. We have to do some practical things. We have to go beyond just believing. How many people of faith have lost faith today? How many people of faith have failed in life today? With their faith. Faith alone is not enough. Even the demons believe. But their belief is of no good. It does not help them. In actual fact, uh, James put it very clear in James chapter 2 verse 19. He says, even the demons believe. And they even tremble in terror. But their faith, their belief does not save them. So, belief alone is not enough. It's what you do with what, what, what you have learned. Your faith alone is not enough. It is what you do after you believe. That's what matters a lot in our lives. The sign of our faith, the sign of our belief, it's what we do. How do you behave when difficult times come in your life? How do, how do you behave? If you want to have strong faith, if you want to have enduring faith, you should commit to start practicing what you have learned. You don't need any extra set of notes or biblical notes. All you need is just to practice it. Act on what you know. The Bible says the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God is powerful to change your life, to change my life, to change our lives. You cannot claim to be a Christian but still continue to live in sin. Jesus put it very clear in Matthew chapter 7 verse 14. Because narrow, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are very few who find it. Very few. My brother, my sister, my prayer is, can you fall under the few? Make a decision that I want to be one of those few who find it. Not the men who go to church. Not the men who affiliate to Christianity. In actual fact, I'm not even impressed when somebody says, I'm a Christian. That does not mean anything. Are you practicing Christian? Are you practicing what you have learned? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. People will go to heaven, like I said. Probably there are not as many as we think. The Bible says there are very few who find it. Very few who practice the word of God. Only those who do the word of God. 
Only those who practice what God says. Only those who practice what they have learned in the Bible. God will separate you from sin. And sin will separate you from God. That sin that we keep on holding on to. It's not worth heaven, my brother, my sister. It is not worth it. You have to stop it. Because the Bible says stop. You know, you continue to massage it. And you continue to say, oh, it's my weakness. This is how I was born. Everybody at home, they know about it. This is what, what my grandpa struggled with. This is what my mother struggled with. This is what, you know, my father struggled with. And I'm also struggling with it. And you continue to live in sin. That is not good. This is not a synagogue, my brother, my sister. Where you just memorize scriptures and go on with your life. Jesus says, true Christianity, it involves faith. Faith involves life change. I do not know who this message is for. Maybe God is giving you, I don't know, the last chance, maybe the final chance to repent. And you call yourself a Christian. But still you continue to live in sin. Continue to live in hatred. Continue to live in unforgiveness. And I want to plead with you today. That you could start living right with God. Let's be serious with our faith. I mean it takes more than just believing. If you have resilient faith. You have to start practicing what you have learned. It may not sound popular. It may not sound fashionable. It may not get you a lot of likes on Facebook. But we have to live right with God. The Sermon on the Mount. It was a true gospel. That demanded them to make some changes. To repent. Please, when you get a chance, go and read Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 6 and chapter 7. And practice that. That will help you grow in your faith. That will help you grow in your faith. What will it help you? What will it gain? What will, it, what will you pay? You, 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 what will you profit? If you gain the whole world, like the Bible says, you gain popularity. You are the coolest guy, the coolest lady in town or in the city. And at the end, you lose your whole life. At the end, you lose heaven. I may not be politically correct, but I want to stay biblically correct. Jesus says, if there is an eye that causes you to sin, gorge it out. Remove it. If your friend causes you to sin, cut him off. Cut her off. If your boyfriend causes you to sin, cut him off. There are some places that you just need to cut them off. Some places that you have to stop going because you want to live right with God. There are some people you just have to stop relating with them because they cause you to sin. You just have to stop connecting with them. Some maybe phone numbers that you just need to block them. Some of them you just need to delete them. For the sake of righteousness. If you are serious about going to heaven, you have to do the right thing, my brother. You have to do the right thing, my sister. Even if they call themselves Christians and confess all the, all the scriptures, but if they are not living right, you have to make a decision. You have to tell him. You have to tell her. I do not want to lose heaven just because of this sin. It's either I cut the sin off or I cut you off. I choose 
to cut you off. I choose to cut this place off. I choose to cut this phone call off. We can't continue to live in sin and still call ourselves Christians. If you don't have resilient faith, you must live right. You must practice what you have learned. The Bible is so clear that without faith it's impossible to please God. But then at the same time, after faith what follows is you have to live showing, proving that you believe in what you say you believe in. It doesn't matter how much you confess. It doesn't matter how much or how big is your faith. Jesus says there are few who will find this way. There are few who will find it. There are few who will find it. He says at the end, I will say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you because you chose not to do what I told you to do. God is not joking, my brother. God is serious. There's no joke here. Please be serious with God. Please be serious with your walk with God. I mean, today, all of you, you will agree with me. The way death is so common. These are not days to play around. These are days that you have to be serious with God. You have to live right with God. You can't, you can't take some chances here. You can't risk your future here. You can't risk missing going to heaven just because you want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a little while, for a moment, as Hebrews chapter 11 25 says. Resilient, enduring faith is being built when you practice what we learn. I encourage you to come to God. I encourage you to become a true Christian. Because a practical Christian is the one who believes in God and he does what God says. Christianity is not theoretical but practical. Do not be like the Jews in the synagogue. God will love you know, to welcome you back home. Make your faith practical. Make your faith practical. Let me say this to you as I'm going to close. What you know today about Christianity, what you know about the Bible today, is enough to take you to, to heaven. It's enough to help you walk on your purpose. The information you have today is enough to get you to heaven. All you need is just to practice what you know. You don't need any new revelation. All you need is to practice what you know today. All you need is to practice what you have learned today. You know, some people are like sponges. They keep on absorbing the word of God. Absorbing all the information that they get. Absorbing it, but they do nothing about it. They do nothing with it. Their notebooks are full. But their lives do not change. They have been to every conference you can think of. But their lives do not change. They have all the YouTube links. All the messages, the WhatsApp messages, where famous preachers speak. They listen to Joel Austin, Joyce Meyer, Miles Monroe, Rick Warren, T.D. Jakes, everybody, Musa Sonom, uh, Pastor Shpalan and Muligwe, Masakwan, every pastor that you can think of. They have their notes, they listen to their audios, but still their lives remain unchanged. And there's no way you can have resilient faith. 
Bible says, if you do not practice it, that's why when difficult times come, when challenging times come, you fall apart. My brother, my sister, application, not information, will change your life. It's not what you know, but what you practice that will change your life. The blessing is on the other side of your obedience. When God tells you to do something and you be obedient and do it, on the other side of your obedience, that's where your blessing is. Christianity is not what you say, but what you practice, what you do. Resilient faith, genuine faith grows when we practice or we do what the Word of God says. Then we become stronger and stronger in faith. It's like when you have paint. If you have a tin of paint and you don't use it, that paint will not help you. <laughs> it will not help you. It, it does not decorate any house. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It does not do anybody any good. May God help us. We start to practice and become who He wants us to be. That's the only way we'll have strong faith. That is the only way we'll have resilient faith. So when those storms come, when those winds blow, we'll stay strong because we do, we practice what we have learned from the Word of God. Let's pray.